Chances are, some of you New Yorkers listening might be spending this Memorial Day weekend in the Hamptons. Some of you might have even bought a house in the last couple years. Some of you might have been lucky to snag a beachside rental property. But for many others, the dream of lounging on the beach is unattainable for many reasons. This is Deconstruct. I'm your host, Isabella Farr, and producer Susanna Cavanaugh and I have the story. So for starters, the Hamptons housing market has done a full 180 in the past year. In the first three months of 2021, the sales market was as congested as 27's traffic on Memorial Day weekend. Inventory was tight and buyers were plentiful. Fast forward to April of 2022, and there's nearly half as much available inventory as the same month last year. That's according to appraiser Jonathan Miller. Meanwhile, closings have dropped by close to a quarter for the first three months of the year. Second... Prices are rising, like the rest of the country. Home prices are up about 8% compared to last year, with the median home price hitting $1.4 million in the first quarter. But that's nothing compared to the jump from 2019 to 2020, when the median sales price rose by 40%, the highest rate in a decade. When the pandemic hit, those who could afford it wanted an escape from the city. And a lot of these people flocked to areas including upstate New York and Greenwich, Connecticut, and the Hamptons. That influx, as we know, turned the sluggish market that defined the end of the 2010s on its head. I think it was a normalized market, a challenging market more often than not. In 2018-19, my sense was that we were heading into better times. This is Cody Vachinsky, who co-founded the ultra-luxury brokerage Bespoke with his brother Zachary in 2014. That's when he says the Hampton sales market had hit a peak. Bespoke, obviously our niche is 10 million and above. Our average sale price is 27 and change. So like we, we look at the market through a very particular lens. And 2014, for example, was a boom year in that segment of the market. A lot of oceanfront transactions, a lot of new highs in terms of price perspective. And then 15, 16, 17 started to settle. And, and then in the few years before the pandemic hit, sales slumped, inventory grew, and prices ticked downward, especially for anything over 10 million. Three trends drove that decline. Too many homes, fewer foreign buyers, and a tax law change that amped up property taxes in New York, driving would-be buyers to Florida, which has no state income tax. So that multi-year decline created an opportunity for sales to rebound. You know, and I do believe in the seven-year cycle, hence why I think 2021, whether COVID or not, would have been a positive year for Hamptons real estate or luxury real estate in general. There was a brief moment in time there heading into the pandemic that nobody knew what was going to happen. I remember I was negotiating on a $35 million deal the day the market dropped. You know, I remember I was sitting here being like, I wonder if this guy's going to still purchase the property. Cody says the guy renegotiated and managed to knock $3 million off the asking price. And then who knew? It was just like a perfect trajectory. The equity in that home has only gone up you know, in quite a significant amount. When COVID supercharged the Hamptons market, it hit rentals first. You know, people who were wanting to get out of the city, you know, and get into a little less dense of an environment. There was a lot of onslaught. It was almost unusual the amount of money people were paying for, you know, short and long-term rentals. And, you know, obviously that was an indicator that it could translate to something more meaningful. So Bespoke grew out a rental division to meet that demand. Some renters became buyers and the market went bananas. It was an unusual thing for Bespoke because our business has always been based on long-term value and helping clients achieve premiums for their property, no doubt, but also on the buy side, you know, be patient and methodical 
and try and look at acquisitions through a discerning lens because that was what we were born out of. We're born in this luxury market environment where, again, people do not need to buy. So we always wanted our clients to be able to look back at the transaction and feel like they yielded you know, value beyond the utility of the asset. But throughout 2020 and into 2021, the market was a feeding frenzy. Brokers were aggressively pushing deals for multi-million dollar homes and buyers were willing to pounce. But that type of activity can only last so long. And so now I think that we're sort of on the back end of that bell curve. As Isabella told you at the top of the episode, sales have slipped in the past month as prices peaked and inventory has hit rock bottom. And buyers have grown weary of the slapdash sales model. You're starting to see the buyers feel like they've been treated like blind cattle. You know, just being herded into whatever they could. And I think they're getting a little bit impatient. Headed into the summer, Cody now sees the Hamptons top tiered buyers fitting into one of two buckets. The first are those unaffected by the higher than ever prices and the lack of inventory. You still have people who are definitely in the markets and are definitely buying homes, who has always been there. Who they have more money than they do time. And they're saying, like, I just want a house. I want to enjoy it with my family, you know. The second are the skeptics. I'd say more of a discerning class of purchaser who have been the unfortunate beneficiaries of just cataclysmic events happening. High interest rates, high inflation, COVID issues, a war with Russia and Ukraine, like supply chain issues. They're sort of, they're tired, not only on a personal perspective, but also what it could do to the market. So people who are thinking twice about buying a home after mortgage rates have jumped or because inflation has reached a 40-year high. Cody said that camp is getting larger. No doubt that it's growing. That conversation is, is very prevalent. Anybody who tells you otherwise is obviously a liar or ignorant. That newfound hesitance among would-be buyers has created a standoff between home hunters and sellers. What typically happens, and this is, could be radical, is that there's a bit of a gridlock state in the market. Because, and rightfully so, I think it's understandable. You know, unless some th- something is acute where someone needs liquidity, you know, there's death, divorce, distress, whatever it is. A lot of people here, they do not need to sell their homes, right? And so what they just witnessed was an inflation of value. They watch their neighbors achieve high prices. And they're saying, well, my asset is in a relatively new category of value versus where it was pre-pandemic. And so somebody in their ear being like, well, the market is going to collapse, blah, blah, blah. And they they don't necessarily want to just capitulate right away. So like they take a more long-term view and they say, okay, look, it's okay. I don't need to sell it. And if I get a number, great. If not, no worries. You know? So I think that the buyer who's in that other camp is, they're also saying, well, I don't want to pay that COVID price. So I'm also going to be a little more thoughtful. What the likely next few months could potentially be, if not long, is that there is a bit of a stalemate. That's not to say transactions will come to a standstill. I think deals will still happen because you will see acute circumstances where people, they naturally want to adjust and they just want to keep moving on with their life. And it's not about holding an asset till they can maximize every dollar out of it again. Plus, as international travel has returned, demand for the Hamptons has slid a bit from the peak we saw last summer when some families only felt comfortable with a driving distance vacation home or short-term rental. As a result, there's been more rental inventory coming to market. I think people, they want to expand beyond this market. They want to travel. They want to go on boats. They want to, you know, 
go to weddings and other places, I would say that there's still a lot of rentals. A lot of people purchased Hampton's properties to get out of the city, as we all know, and they also want to travel. So they, they'll put their house up for rent. Listings of ultra luxury homes are still tight, especially what Cody calls quality rentals. To be able to you know, earnestly say to somebody like, you have to go for this. There's inherent value here. And it's a really special piece of property or special house, et cetera. They exist, but they're not in abundance. But as a firm believer that the market will cycle, the executive sees supply coming back and prices dropping eventually. I do think that we're at the crescendo of that cycle. Over the next several years, we are going to build back inventory that's quality that lower pandemic prices. For the time being, though, that healthy dose of skepticism creates an opportunity for the firm to do what it does best, help ultra-luxury buyers and renters find a spot that really suits them and will be a value add in the long run. I don't like to use the word exciting because it's certainly not. You know, relative to 2020, 2021, I think this year is going to be a normal year right? Back to sort of the normalization of luxury real estate. The pandemic years, they could have been, in hindsight, maybe the best selling years in the history of the planet, right? So I think if you capitalized on that, fantastic. But let's call a spade a spade. Like that cannot last forever. Not only will this be good for buyers looking in the million dollar bucket, but it might actually mean that some of the people who can't afford the current median sales price in the Hamptons might be able to buy a home there one day. Jeremy Samuelson is the director of planning for the town of East Hampton, and he says there's a real need for affordable housing. Over the last 40 years, people have talked and worked on the issue of creating affordable housing for the community. The basic concept is if we do not have the ability to have people actually be able to live here in addition to working here, we are not only creating lives and lifestyles for people that are not as good as they could be, but we're actually not as healthy a community as we strive to be. And so I think many people saw this coming over the horizon again 40 years ago, but the situation that we are faced with now is acute by which I mean that we literally have worker shortages in all industries, in all classes of, you know, sort of professional class, middle class, working class, blue collar jobs, labor, seasonal, full-time, year round. It doesn't matter. Jeremy says he has four open positions with the planning department right now, but he can't find anybody to fill them. Candidates say housing is just too expensive and it's impossible to commute from New York City or elsewhere because of traffic. You literally can't go to the grocery store without having this reality smack you in the face. When you go to the grocery store and there are only two registers open, it is not because people don't want those jobs or because uh, the manager doesn't want to hire somebody. The money is there, but the housing is not. And so what we have to actively do right now is figure out how we can create some balance between the, the folks who want to be here as consumers and drivers of the economy and you know, the bare minimum necessary to provide those goods and services to people. If there are no workers, then there are no services. And if there are no services, then it's amazing to own a house here. But when you need repairs, when you need servicing of any kind, when you want to go out and have a meal with your family, if those people don't have a place to live, then not just the economy, but the local community really begins to come unraveled. 
Jeremy, I was wondering whether this boost in sales and home prices was actually increasing revenue for the city. And can the city use that to build affordable housing? There is. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the, the easiest way to track this is looking at our community preservation fund. So that's a two, an existing 2% real estate transfer tax that is dedicated to uh, preservation of land and protection of water quality. Unfortunately, when that law was first adopted in 1998, it did not have a provision for spending for affordable housing. But under new state legislation, the five East End municipalities on Long Island, Southampton, Riverhead, South Holt Town, Shelter Island and East Hampton, may impose a 0.5 percent real estate transfer tax. That tax, the revenues from that tax would actually be paid 100 percent by the buyers of a home. So there is no cost burden to the existing owners of a home. Uh, If you're not buying a home, then you are not scooped up by this tax. But 100 percent of that revenue would be generated within the town and would be spent within the town. And so a very conservative estimate at this point is uh, about $6 million uh, on an annual basis. But I, I think that that's a very conservative number based on what we've seen, certainly over the last couple of years, but even the few years before that. So there would be an additional funding stream that would allow the town to uh, take on any number of programs that would actually either create units or provide subsidies uh, for down payment assistance, do a whole bunch of things, um, possibly even provide low interest loans to homeowners who wanted to create things like accessory dwelling units and uh, other novel approaches like that. Voters in these cities will have the chance to vote on the new tax through a ballot referendum in November. It could come into effect by January of next year. But Jeremy says the pandemic-related rush to the Hamptons wasn't necessarily a bad thing for the community. In fact, it helped build up year-round businesses in many towns. What we found was that the pandemic really um, came in and turned everything upside down here, just as it did everywhere. And people who were living in small you know, apartments in the city uh, decided that, you know, in that moment, especially, they wanted to not be in the city. They wanted to be outside where they had access to you know, all of the amenities that a place like East Hampton has to offer. You know, miles and miles of beaches, parks, uh, fresh air, uh, welcoming community, restaurants, you know, all of those things, if we could find a way to do them safely during a pandemic, were so much more accessible. And so what we found was as, as many similar communities around the country found, um, our population uh, went up dramatically. Yeah, we had school enrollments jump through the roof. Uh, and uh, some of this were people who already owned a second or weekend home here that decided, okay, well, we'll just go go ahead and set up camp there. Um, and many were people who decided they were going to finally make the leap or just do a lifestyle change and actually make an investment. So interestingly, um, one of the firmest ways that we have to measure this is the population increase as noted through the census. Um, which you know took place right smack dab in the middle of the of the pandemic, and what we found was that we we actually had a one third increase in our population uh, between 2010 and 2020, based on U.S. Census numbers. And so there's a lot of good that that can help us accomplish here in terms of that broader goal for having uh, a more year round community that is less sort of you know ebb and flow in terms of the the peaks and the valleys of that uh, quadrupling of the population every summer. So we're still gonna get that quadrupling, I imagine, in the summer, and and there are infrastructure constraints that come along with that. Uh, But in terms of trying to actually build out a more year-round community, I think we've seen a substantial shift. 
Deconstruct airs every Monday on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Or you can listen at therealdeal.com or check us out on Instagram. For comments on this episode or on the series, feel free to reach me or Susanna at podcasts at therealdeal.com. Next week, we examine whether climate change has yet to impact the home buying and investment markets in areas most at risk. Tune in then.